0: Hey, everyone, Dr. Tim and Hillary for another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary?
1: I am doing good. It is a nice rainy day here. I'm ready to answer some questions. I'm ready for you to answer some questions.
0: Oh, you can handle it too. <laughs> All right. Well, fire away then.
1: Okay, okay. Question number one. This is an easy one. Do I need a skimmer when using WasteAway?
0: Do you need a skimmer? No. Will a skimmer make the process easier, faster, more efficient? And the answer is yes. Because what's happening is the waste away bacteria are assimilating or consuming, or if we get anthropomorphic eating, to make it simple. No, I hate that. Uh, The nitrate and the phosphate, and the organics in the system. So they're taking those chemicals that um, may be a little hard to remove for nitrate and organics and converting them into more bacteria. And now to finalize the process, something has to happen to those bacteria. And the easiest thing is to remove the bacteria from the system via the protein skimmer. I mean, there are other ways. If your tank has got a lot of corals, corals filter feed 24-7. So the corals can um, filter out and and ingest those bacteria and, and basically use those as nutrition. That's where corals get most of their nutrition is from bacteria in the water. Uh, you can have a filter sock,, uh, and then you you're going to trap the bacteria in that filter sock and you have to remove it. And this is one of one of the advantages of using bacteria to re- remove nutrients rather than, say, a refugia, is that there's not, you don't have to get involved in this final step if you ha- if you have a skimmer, because a skimmer is very efficient at removing, the bacteria in the water. If you have a refugia and you're doing the, you know, um, Lerpa or keto or whatever green algae you're using, the algae is assimilating the phosphates and the nitrates growing more algae, but now you've got to get in there and harvest that that keto. Uh, With using bacteria in a skimmer, you don't have to do that. The skimmer will automatically remove the bacteria, thereby removing the phosphates and nitrates. So it does make it more efficient. Doesn't have to, um, you don't have to have it, but it makes the whole process more efficient.
1: Efficient is always a nice thing.
0: Well, plus it's easier and easier is always better.
1: (laughs) Yes. All right. that, That was an easy question. So we'll move on to the next one. All right, number two. First of all, let me express my gratitude for sharing your knowledge and experience. I love your podcasts. Regarding eco-balance, it's easy to recognize unfriendly algae that can take over a tank, but maybe not so easy to recognize unfriendly bacteria. Is this only cyanophyta, or are there other kinds of unwanted bacteria? What does harmful bacteria do? What does beneficial bacteria do? Do all like the same tank conditions? Can we promote one over the other? I went from a super easy question all the way up to bam. Multi-part.
0: Yeah, multi-parts. I got to remember all this. Um, So bad bacteria uh, dominate. So what can bad bacteria do? The number one bad bacteria in marine systems for sure is going to be Vibrio. And vibrio just hangs out, and it waits for conditions that favor it—an injured fish and in, a stressed fish, an injured coral—and then they're opportunistic. You know, usually vibrio is what's called a secondary bac- secondary bacterial infection, meaning there was an, an initial event, that a cut or a wound, and then the the vibrio took advantage of that to uh, infect the organism and generally cause death. So what Ecobalance does is it's a probiotic that is targeted towards Vibrio and it produces a bacteriocin, which is a chemical compound, that will kill the Vibrio. It's not a medicine if the Vibrio is, is already present and in large numbers the equal balance really isn't going to work. What equal balance does is keep surfaces cleaner, produce these bacteriocins that can keep the vibrio numbers low. I won't; do never, nothing's ever zero. Um, how do you know vibrio's there? Well, you don't. You just have to make some assumptions. One way to keep vibrio and all bad bacteria numbers down is to have good water flow. Good, good mixing and get rid of organics. Don't let um, organics, dead material, debris, all that type of stuff build up. Have good, efficient mechanical filtration and stirring and mixing so that stuff that's in the water column goes into your filter, your, your mechanical filter and gets trapped there and then remove that. Just getting trapped there. Does no good to the system unless you remove it from the system. So, but you if you start seeing white, uh, stringy material, that's uh, bacteria. That's not good bacteria. You can sometimes see this in in deeper um, coral beds. There'll be pockets. And then inside these pockets, I've got some good pictures of big public aquariums that have this or this white sulfate-reducing bacteria strings, and you don't want that. Um, usually, this it's a slime uh, bacteria. You want to uh, you can see that, and you want to get rid of that. Brush it off, and then use the Eco Balance to counteract that. Did I cover most of those questions, Hillary?
1: Um, I think so. All right, moving on to question number three. I've tried cycling my 25 gallon reef tank with your kit. My water salinity is sitting at 32 parts per thousand. The temperature is steady at 80 degrees. Day two, four and five, I had ammonia at two parts per million and nitrite at zero. Day seven, I had ammonia at four and nitrite at zero. I'm curious if it's possible that I've gotten a bad cluster of bacteria.
0: Well, anything's possible, but are they adding ammonia? How'd the ammonia go from two to two to four?
1: It does not say.
0: Um. Well, um, it's it's hard to answer this question because I don't really have a, enough information. Um, how the ammonia went from two to four. I tend to think maybe this person has uh, live sand and the live sand decays and that decaying organic material produces ammonia. Uh, but back to the original question, I mean, I mean, sure, you can get a bad batch as we go in to winter if the bacteria absolutely frozen solid. Um, now, we don't send out bad batches. We have lots of different... Tanks that we mix and match the bacteria in, and we wouldn't send bad bacteria out. But things can happen in transportation or things can happen at store shelves. It's very rare. Nitrifying bacteria, they're pretty tough. They're real tough to kill because uh, they live, ours live on a substrate. They're uh, protected by their EPS. Unless they absolutely are frozen solid or poison somehow they're not bad. So what's happening in a system where things don't cycle as fast as you think is, one does they have substrate I mean a lot of times because people are doing quarantines, which is great, they're doing bare bottom tanks and there's no back there's no substrate for the bacteria So if you're just dumping one and only into a a quarantine tank with no substrate, it's going to take a long time for things to cycle. You have to have some substrate for these bacteria. That's why I recommend a non-calcareous, like like our remover is a great substrate. Just put one layer in there or marbles, something that the bacteria can latch onto and start growing and then start removing the nitrite and the ammonia and the nitrite. Um but we don't have enough information to really go deeper than that, Hillary.
1: Okay. I have a question based on your response.
0: Okay. You said
1: that they are protected by their EPS. What is that?
0: EPS stands for extra extopolymer substance, E-X-O polymer substance. And basically it's the snot that you, uh, if you've ever seen the, uh, photographs of the nitrifying bacteria i think they're on our website you'll see there's this fuzziness but you people think that bacteria grow as these single cells and i'm sure you've seen the nice uh, rendered or pictures where they color false color them and they look like hot dogs or spheres or just some nice shape and they're all individual and look beautiful that's not biology, that's art. Uh, th- these ba- bad life is messy, so these bacteria grow in clusters and they produce a this extra, exo, you know, outside, and it's a polymer, so it's it's a like a, a net, you know, the polymer just means that it's a repeating uh, myrrh, that's a chemical. Structure, it just repeats. So, think about it. Basically, they're like a spider web that um, they produce a spider web that's very geometrically uniform if you were to look deep, deep at it. And it protects them. That polymer substance um, can protect them against chlorine and different chemicals. And it's kind of a force field that they grow into that protects them from uh, drying out, from predators. From chemicals and different things like that.
1: It sounds a lot like a fish's slime coat.
0: Yeah, basically, it's a bacterial slime coat. Yep.
1: Okay, I like that. I like that better than like a snot <laughs> snot blob.
0: <laughs> Stop. Okay, excuse me. That wasn't very scientific. <laughs> Get rid of the All snot blob. Right.
1: All right. Uh, let's see. Back on track. Question now number five. In one of your YouTube videos, you demonstrated how bacteria sink and condenses at the bottom of the container bottle. I've placed my biomedia in the sump baffle and lifted it up so it's essentially suspended in the water column as opposed to sitting on the bottom of the tank. In this baffle, water flows from the top to or from the bottom to the top. How does this biomedia placement compare to sitting on the bottom of the tank? Should I just let it sit on the bottom? What are your thoughts?
0: So, they've suspended it, but can the water still go around it? The whole secret here, folks, is not letting the water go around the media. So, if you just throw a bag or a ceramic brick or anything on the bottom, why is the water going to go in there? It's not. Water takes the path of least resistance. So, even if you picture where it has to go through a series of baffles and the water has to come from the bottom up through this narrow chamber, if you can cover most of that chamber with this media, that's better. But if you can have it where the the media extends across the chamber, left to right, side to side, so that the water has to go through the media, that's what you're looking for is that there's no... um, Bypass. The water has to get through the bag of media or through the block of the media. That's what you're looking for. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of not clear on from the description whether there's bypass or not, but you're trying to eliminate as much bypass as you can.
1: Yep. No, it doesn't say. So if you're listening, make sure that the water has to be forced through.
0: Right. Okay. Question
1: number six. In the video on BRS's YouTube channel, you talk about ammonia concentration affecting the nitrifiers and keeping the ammonia below five parts per million. Is that tan or ammonia? Does that also apply to freshwater systems? Do all of your tips in the video recorded at Magna 2019 also apply to establishing the nitrogen cycle in freshwater systems? Thanks.
0: Okay. So a couple of things to clear up. So what's TAN? TAN, T-A-N, stands for total ammonia nitrogen, which is total ammonia in the water measured in the nitrogen base. Uh, And because the questioner said that versus ammonia, I'm assuming they mean, well, it's TAN versus NH3. So ammonia Exist in water in two forms: ammonium (NH4+) plus and ammonia (NH3). The NH3 form is the toxic form, and it's also the form the bacteria use. And you put those two together, and you get total ammonia. And if you measure that in the nitrogen base, which is what we do here at Dr. Tim's, and, and most all scientists do, uh, because it's it's easier. Uh, then it's called tan total ammonia nitrogen, and so you can say my total ammonia is say five. But how much of that is ammonium versus how much of that is ammonia? You know, NH four plus versus NH three depends mostly on the pH of the water and a little bit on the salinity and the temperature. And why that's important is because at lower pHs, when all the tan, you know, the majority of the tan is in the ammonium NH4 plus form, the fish can survive. It's not acutely toxic. You know, It's not super healthy for the fish, but it's not going to die real soon. Versus same conditions, same amount of tan, but at a much higher pH, say 8.3 or 8.4, then a greater percentage of that total ammonia nitrogen is in the toxic NH3 form. And to get a little bit scientific, you know, for my master's, I did toxicity studies. And what you're looking at is you report this in the NH3 because the toxicity of ammonia is greatly determined by the pH of the water, but that gets into gory details. So,
1: and we we can do. We had a whole full discussion on this before we started recording, so we can do an actual podcast on this and have visuals for it if you're interested. So, let us know in the comments if this is something that you want.
0: Yes, um, and and unfortunately, you know, if if your mind is spinning, going, "Oh, huh, this is a deep rabbit hole." There's scientists that don't get this. There's papers that don't get this. And, and it's important because for ammonia, if you don't know the pH and the salinity and some other variables, and you're doing t- toxicity studies, your report's pretty worthless because it the NH3 has been shown to be the toxic form. And in order to calculate that, You need to know the tan, the pH, the salinity, the temperature, and things like that, so that from study to study you can you're comparing apples to apples. Uh, And in regarding the hints, so the hints uh, to cycle faster in that talk I gave at Macna in I think 2019 in Orlando was one lower your salinity because the night, especially the nitrite oxidizers, which Work already slow, they'll speed up a little bit at lower salinities. Well, that doesn't apply to fresh water because fresh water is fresh. But what does apply to fresh water is you do not want to use RODI water with nitrifiers. Nitrifiers do not like pure water. So you have to have some calcium and magnesium in there. So, what does apply is say you want to do a uh, South um, American tank with uh, discus and angels, and you want that uh, super pure, you know, water's very soft, which means it doesn't have a lot of calcium and magnesium. Nitrifiers hate that. So what you should do is cycle the tank in the beginning with harder fresh water with lots of calcium and magnesium build up the nitrifying population and then slowly change the water to that softer water that you want higher temperatures we grow the nitrifiers at 85 fahrenheit that's almost 30 celsius that applies in fresh water or salt water the warmer the water the faster the bacteria grow. And what we're doing here, my whole thesis in that talk was in the first three weeks or so, set up your aquarium to favor the bacteria versus favoring the fish, because you're assuming you're doing a fishless cycling. Definitely keep the ammonia and, and nitrite below five milligrams per liter, total ammonia, you know, tan or nitrite, nitrogen. And the best way to do that is constant small additions. When we do big public aquariums, we have dosing pumps. So we're always adding the bacteria rather or the ammonia rather than dumping a bunch in and getting a big spike and then waiting for that to disappear. Uh, So definitely keep your ammonia and nitrite below five. And this is probably the number one issue question we get hillary is is the ammonia bacteria are going to work faster whether it's freshwater or salt water the ammonia bacteria are going to convert ammonia to nitrite faster the nitrite's going to build up and everybody is gets worried and freaks out that if they don't add ammonia every day the ammonia oxidizing bacteria are going to starve they are not going to starve they can go weeks without adding ammonia so Resist the urge to keep on dumping ammonia in the system and without the nitrite oxidizing bacteria being able to keep up because that will just increase the nitrite and that will cause a nitrite block no matter what some self-prescribed experts of nitrifying bacteria on certain reforms want you to believe. You do not want the nitrite to get above five because it will just start slowing down and the system will get stuck. So be patient, small, frequent additions, keeping the ammonia and nitrite below five in your tank will get cycled in 10 days following our method. I think okay. Covered everything?
1: I think so. <laughs> Did I sound Maybe frustrated? Some... <laughs> it's like it covered everything and then they got some bonus information. That's
0: it. Yeah. Stop, saying... Stop paying attention to these experts.
1: <laughs> All right. To... Except Um, me, of course. (laughs) Yeah, right here. This is is all you need. This podcast. Okay, straight to the point. What is the concentration of ammonia in ammonium chloride product that you sell?
0: Um, The concentration is 50 milligrams ammonia nitrogen per mil. So what does that mean? That was easy. Yep. So uh, if you add one drop of that, or not one, if you add one mil of our ammonia to a liter, and, and, and this is now actually, I thought about this because people say, well, your ammonia is no good. There's no ammonia in it. It's bad because I added a drop or two and it doesn't read. Well, that's because it's off the scale. And all these test kits have a range. If you you know if you're trying to measure using your test kit our ammonia, you've got to dilute it because even one drop which is 50 milligram or well, sorry one mil, which is 50 milligrams of ammonia, if you add that to a gallon, that's roughly four liters, your ammonia concentration is going to be about 12. Um, a 12 and a half 13 milligrams per liter ammonia nitrogen, which in some many cases for these test kits, that's too high. When the ammonia is way too high, the test kit doesn't measure. It just gets really cloudy, the solution. And if you do an ammonia test and the solution gets really this cloudy white, chances are high. Our chances are good that the ammonia concentration was super high and you need to do dilutions to actually measure it. So,
1: I'm sure there's more questions about adding too much ammonia. We get asked about that all the time. So yeah, just be patient. It's bound to show up.
0: Yeah. Well, and, uh, there's actually a video I did a long time ago because nitrites even worse. Um, and I, I'm showing, and I have this test and, you know, I do the nitrite test and it comes up clear and I'm talking about something else. And then I take the same sample and I dilute it uh, three to one. So 25% dilution and do the test and nitrites easy because you add one, one reagent and it turns and that one. So I did that. I did the dilution, add the reagent, that same sample then turns bright purple. So if you have a super high concentration of what you're trying to measure ammonia or nitrite, your test kit's not going to read it. So use, you know, if if you think and you've been, you know, just think about the situation. And if you believe the concentrations are really high, take your aquarium sample and dilute it. One part of the aquarium sample with three parts of water and then run your test and times multiply whatever your result is by four to get the you know, you've, you've done a, a dilution by four and a lot of times it'll change colors. And then it's just because there's too much of that target re, uh, chemical in there that the test kit can't measure it.
1: Yep. And I think we've done a podcast on that too. So yep. go back and check that out. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Question number eight. I accidentally use the eight-ounce of freshwater live nitrifying bacteria in my new 120-gallon saltwater tank. Will this cause any harm? Should I add the saltwater version to my tank as well? Or should I remove all of the water and start again?
0: Okay. So you never have to remove all the water and start again when dealing with one and only. One and only is benign. You know, adding the freshwater one and only to a saltwater tank, nothing bad's going to happen. Are there, will it help? It's better than not adding any nitrifying bacteria. That's for sure. Uh, It may not cycle as fast as if you had added the saltwater version, and it is okay to go ahead and add the saltwater version on top of the freshwater version. You don't have to uh, drain the tank. You don't have to worry about anything. Um, So just go ahead and and add the saltwater one and continue along your way.
1: Yes. I like simple, easy solutions that yeah. don't involve having to drain 120 gallons and starting over.
0: Exactly. <laughs> no reason to do that.
1: That's a lot of water Yeah, and a lot of salt. All right. Question number nine, the color up program. I would like to confirm if after I make the one liter solution, am I meant to be adding aeration to the solution or aeration to my tank? If I'm supposed to add it to the solution, how long should I do so?
0: well you should add it to the solution not the tank and you should constantly aerate it because what's happening is the bacteria are growing and in order to grow and assimilate those vitamins that you've added from the first defense they need oxygen you don't want them to be working aerobically aerobically or anaer I'm sorry you don't want them working anaerobically or anoxically. Is that a word?
1: Uh, You probably know better on that than I would. I think it
0: is. So so what's happening? You add lots of aeration, and the bacteria are working aerobically. They're assimilating the nitrates and the phosphates and the vitamins. If you don't add aeration, you're going to start growing this bacterial population. They're going to suck the oxygen out of the water, and it's going to go from being aerobic to anaerobic, and now they're going to start doing denitrification, which is really not what you want. Then they'll continue on and they'll get all the nitrate out of the water, and this, the water will go anoxic, absolutely no oxygen. And this is where bad stuff really happens because the same bacterial bacteria, the same cell, will now work to reduce the sulfate in seawater, and there's plenty of sulfate, to hydrogen sulfide. So now you've got a hydrogen sulfide producing factory. And if you put that in your tank, it's going to kill everything. Hydrogen sulfide gas is very soluble, and you'll just wipe out your tank. So definitely you want aeration Not not bubbling, it doesn't have to be frothing, but you definitely want some aeration in the uh, vessel that you're adding the bacteria in the first defense to. All
1: right, okay, let's continue. Question number 10. I have a new 15 gallon freshwater tank. Plants will be included when the tank is cycling. I will add a beta after the aquarium is cycled. I purchased the ammonium chloride and one and only and the first defense. However, I read not to use RO water on your website. Can I use spring water or distilled water? Also, can I cycle my tank by your method with a bagged ceramic media, sponge filter and bagged carbon? Also, how much one and only should I be adding to my tank?
0: Do not use DI water. That's even purer than RO. Bacteria don't like that, as I said earlier. So don't use that. Spring water. Spring water, all that means is that it came from spring, but it doesn't tell you how pure the water is. And by pure, I mean, as I said earlier, some spring water has no calcium and magnesium, no alkalinity. It's very soft, and um, that's terrible for bacteria. Other spring water is, is got lots of hardness, and cal- you know, calcium, magnesium, high alkalinity, the bacteria work great in that water. So you have to look, usually um, there's some type of chart, table, on the bottle that gives you an idea of the hardness, the pH, um, and the alkalinity. And you want spring water that has high, you know, moderate to high hardness, pH should be above 7, and the alkalinity should be high too. So just being spring water, that doesn't give us any information to really go on. Then what were the other parts of that?
1: Um. The easy one how much one and only should I be adding? And then can I cycle my tank with bag, ceramic, media, sponge filter, and bagged carbon?
0: Okay, but this is a beta tank,
1: right? Yes.
0: Well, I don't like using carbon as the media because um, you want to be able to change the carbon and not throw away your media. Uh, but can you do things in a bag? Sure, but the bag should be. You know, bigger openings, not super fine mesh. I'm, I'm kind of just don't understand the system though. Because why wouldn't you have some media on the bottom, you know, some type of substrate on the bottom? But be that as may. Um, you need, you need to have the water also uh, moving so that it goes through that media. As we said, or, as I said earlier, if you just throw a bag of media in there, and then you throw some bacteria in the water. And you let it set not not much is going to happen. You need to have water moving through and over that media so that it takes the bacteria and moves it into you know into that media and then you're bringing it fresh you know new water. so you have to have circulation and that brings up a point because a lot of times you see. People say, well, you know, I I read you don't have filters. You don't want your filter socks. So I've got my filter and I took out the media and the sponge and I left the filter off and I'm trying to cycle. It's like, no, you need water movement. So leave your sponge on, leave your filter pad in, leave the little media, uh, media material in that filter. It's only filter socks, micron filter socks you need to remove during the first 48 hours. Um. And this person also mentioned plants. What I would do is cycle the tank without the plants first. Because you know, if, you, if you, the high ammonia concentrations, especially if you're using you know, RODI or, this, or soft spring water, the ammonia is going to sit there for a while because the bacteria aren't going to work well in this condition. And that high ammonia can damage your plants. So one step at a time, get the nitrifying bacteria established. Then add the plants and landscape and do what you know how you like, all while the filter is running. And then, once you get everything set up, you can add a little bit of ammonia, it should quickly disappear because this tight tank was already cycled. And then you can go ahead and add your fish and enjoy your system. So, I think I covered all the points there. Did
1: you answer how much one and only to add?
0: Oh, no. Well, we recommend at least. Um, Two mils—that's like a teaspoon per gallon. But realistically, if you add the whole bottle, there's no reason it doesn't—it doesn't get any better in the bottle. So a small system, you can add a two-ounce bottle. If you want to save some, at, use at least uh, two to five mils per gallon. But shake the bottle really well because it does settle, and then pour, you know, a capful into the tank or, you know, whatever you're using for your beddable, but at least two more, better five mils per gallon and you'll cycle faster.
1: Yes. That's always a good thing. Yep. <laughs> okay. Question number 11. I have been using first defense for dechlorination. When should I use Aqua Cleanse? I like this. This is a good question.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So, so Aqua Cleanse is if you've got A large tank, you know, in in you know hundreds of gallons of water, and there are people out there, and you're trying to to get rid of chloramines in a large volume of water. Then Aqua Cleanse is going to be a a better option, especially if if for some reason you're trying to control ammonia. You know, you've got um, a lot of tap water has. A fair amount of ammonia in it because of the um, breaking apart of the chloramine during the trip from the process, you know, water treatment plant to your house. And sometimes people don't want to let the nitrifying bacteria take care of that or they don't have that established. So when you're dealing with large volumes of water, or you have high ammonia and it's an emergency con- uh, situation, that's when to use Aqua Cleanse versus First Defense, because First Defense won't do anything for the high ammonia or, f- or any of the ammonia in the water.
1: All right. Probably have time for one last uh, question. What? Oh, you'll like this one. It's a cyclic question. I would like to set up a freshwater cichlid tank. I have a 55-gallon tank and would like your recommendations on what to use both long and short-term to get an easy-to-manage long-term tank. Initially, what and how should I cycle? And then long-term, what do you recommend to make it last?
0: You know, that's kind of unanswerable, Hillary. Because you said cichlids. Well, South American cichlids versus... (laughs) South, you know, I mean, African cichlids. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant, folks, but cichlids, go, you know, an angelfish is a cichlid. A discus is a cichlid. The little dwarf rams are cichlids. Those are all from South America and they prefer softer water. And, and as we said several times here, softer water is going to take longer to cycle versus say Lake Tanganyikan cichlids, you know, that water, the pH is like nine, the hardness is rock hard, lots of calcium and magnesium and alkalinity, and it's you know it's nirvana for nitrifying bacteria. So cycling those things are easy. So in, in any situ in, in any case, the key to any th- to long term success in any aquarium is stability in terms of a stable environment and a clean environment. Because because what happens? We don't want algae. We don't want smells and stuff. And that's be- comes from organics building up. And you get rid of organics by one Controlling the number of fish don't overpopulate because overpopulate means overfeeding, overfeeding means pollution. And now you've got lots of work to do. And this is supposed to be a hobby to enjoy, not something to take over your life. So, uh, short term set up the system for nitrifying bacteria. Most fish can live in a wide variety or honey in freshwater, uh, of systems, so so even the angels and the discus and the rams can live. You know, in California water that's that's hard. Uh, you don't have to you know be a chemist and make the water some perfect range. What they do want is consistency. For the nitrifying bacteria, you want water with a higher pH and you want some calcium and magnesium, some hardness in there. That'll just make everything work easier. Now, what's happening over time is the conversion of of ammonia to nitrite and nitrite to nitrate is releasing hydrogen ions. Hydrogen ions consume your alkalinity. Once the alkalinity is consumed, the pH starts to drop. So the natural tendency of every aquarium, freshwater, saltwater, brackish, is for the pH to drop. Once the pH starts to drop, the nitrifiers don't work as well. That's where water changes and maintenance come in. How fast this all happens depends upon the water you started with, and then the amount of food that you're adding, because the ammonia comes from the food. So um, that that's why you know all the books, the kind of the tried and true thing is get the biggest aquarium that you can afford. Because these processes occur slower when there's more water. You know, you can keep a small aquarium, but you got to keep a a requisite, you know, a smaller number of fish unless you want to do a lot of maintenance. So the question's kind of hard to answer. It's just stability and how much time are you willing to put into it? If you're traveling a lot... You know, and have life with kids and jobs and stuff like that. The hobby is supposed to be something you come home and relax and just sit in front of and kind of zone out. And it shouldn't be. Oh, I got to do a water change, so uh, stock it accordingly and um, en- enjoy it. Don't don't try to have t- too many fish or overstock. Yeah, um, that that's called work, right, Hillary? Uh,
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Although there are some crazy people out there that their work is their hobby and it just all meshes into one.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's people like that. Um, not on this phone call.
1: Uh, no, no, not, not at all. Not, not, on, <laughs> not on this. meeting.
0: <laughs> um, but it it just depends. There's no right or wrong. Way Well, the wrong way is never maintain it, but you have to just have to maintain and how much maintenance you do depends upon how many fish and how much food you put in there so that the answer is kind of not, there's no one answer there for of, um, what you need to do. Keep your biofilter clean, keep the water uh, quality up.
1: All right. Pretty easy.
0: Yep.
1: And if you have any specific questions, Dr. Tim is a cichlid expert. so. You can come back with your cichlid specific questions.
0: And let uh, I was just to we've we're 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 mulling. Do we want to tell them about the live feed thing? What are you talking Ooh,
1: about? Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So we're we're thinking, folks, of doing a live. Um you could call in or nobody calls, text whatever it is. Hillary. Help <laughs> he me just, out, Hillary. You just join, join our Hillary. live stream, probably <laughs> live on Instagram,
1: <laughs> maybe Facebook, if there's interest, but you could submit your questions ahead of time. I'll have some questions um, that we get asked, but you can also join live and get your questions answered by Dr. Tim. Cause we get a ton of cycling questions and that, that seems to be yeah. a big area where people need help. And right. We but be the, to the,
0: the idea is, well, the question is when folks, what, so when, if you, yes. if you want to, you know, put your opinion in, um, contact Hillary or Dr. Tim's through Instagram of, you know, Wednesdays at five Eastern or five Western or some, you know, we're trying to just get an idea. Um, it is the holiday season coming up, so we'll f- try to, you know, figure out that, but we want to start a couple of these and, um, get a little bit more involved in maybe a whiteboard session or like Hillary was saying before this, she was asking about ammonia and tans and measurements and I was showing her some charts and, uh, you know, we can do some of these things where we're giving some more, uh, demonstrations and, uh, whiteboard things and talk about this. Some graphics.
1: Yeah. Yes, I think that would be fun. Because you you got you guys get a lot of questions, people just coming up and chatting at the shows and stuff. And why limit that to the shows? Yeah.
0: So, all right. Anything else, Hillary?
1: I think this is good. If we want to do a new, another Q&A this month, we still have a ton of questions. So, we'll think about it.
0: And any other special topics? Yes. Um, like cichlids. You know, it's like, well, I got cichlids. That's a wide range of fish. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Most people, you know, when you say the angelfish, angelfish is a cichlid? Yep. And a discus and uh, a lot of things out there you don't realize are cichlids. So, exactly. Interested more, I'll give a plug on the treasure of the American Cichlid Association. Tons of information, a good group of people. And uh, you can go to the ACA.org and join up. It's only uh 35 bucks a year. Tons of information in our show. Uh just had it Louisville, and we are now having it next year in Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Ooh, very at, exciting.
0: At the end of uh July.
1: Nice.
0: Yep. Having it with the catfish people. Ooh. Yep. All right. So, anyways. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast with Hillary and Dr. Tim. Appreciate all the questions, listening, and all the kind comments that we get at shows and in emails and things like that. We're here to help you guys uh, learn and answer your questions and have fun in this, this hobby. So please keep them coming. And until next time, we'll talk to
1: you guys later.